My favorite, it's Judd's Hockey Show. And what a day to do Judd's Hockey Show coming off what uh, might be one of the best regular season games in the National Hockey League all season. That's not hyperbole. It was fantastic. Wild over the Bruins in overtime. It is the weekly edition of Judd's Hockey Show, which means that Jesse Pierce, Bar Down Beauties, and the Wild Beat Reporter for NHL.com is on board, as is co-host Declan Goff. And before we get started, Dex, so uh, Matt Zuccarello now week to week. Brodeen is out. Spurgeon is out. Where would you suggest these young gentlemen go if they want to get right? Yeah, I would send Vinny Letary just right to Summit Orthopedics at this point, right? I mean, my God, takes a takes a nasty slapper right off the ankle there, right off the boot of the skate. Oh, you know, lower body, upper body, doesn't matter. Summit Orthopedics can help you out. Uh, tons of locations in the metro area here in Minneapolis, St. Paul, plus a lot of other uh, locations in the greater Minnesota area, too. You can learn more at summitortho.com. Just start, just start sending all those guys. As you call up people from Iowa because you physically don't have bodies to play hockey anymore, well, send the injured guys over to uh, Summit Orthopedics. Or just keep going with what you have. Now, the Wild started this two-game road trip in Pittsburgh on Tuesday, and um, and we all thought, well, I'm sorry, on Monday, and we all thought, well, there's a good chance they'll win in Pittsburgh, and then they'll lose in Boston because Boston's really good, and instead they lost in Pittsburgh, and they beat Boston. Jesse, let's start with you. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, 39 years old last night, didn't get the start in Pittsburgh, and it actually made sense why they didn't start him in Pittsburgh, so I'm, I'm not here to debate that personally, but um, that performance last night was glorious because not only was he fantastic, I think he stopped 40 shots, but it also was, as I tweeted you during the game, the hockey of my youth. Mm. With him rolling all over the place, making incredible saves, but nothing technically sound, but everything for the most part brilliant. Just vintage Marc-Andre Fleury. I mean, he loves kind of that circus, chaotic, acrobatic, big saves, and he did that, especially in the second period when they were outshot something like 16-7 to seven, uh, in favor of Boston. So everything about Marc-Andre Fleury loved it last night, and you're right, Judd. It made sense that he was going to start this game. I think they saw Pittsburgh as probably the higher win percentage between the two back-to-backs, so they went with the hot hand and Philip Gustafson. But Marc-Andre Fleury uh, showed him up in Boston, so you'd love to see it. Uh, the Minnesota Wild would not have been in that game had it not been for Marc-Andre Fleury. There were some shining glimmer spots uh, in the offense, of course, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but Marc-Andre Fleury was the Minnesota Wild last night. So it'll be interesting. John Hines had some interesting decisions to make moving forward here because Marc-Andre Fleury between the back-to-backs was the better goaltender. Yeah, it, it felt it felt like after 40 minutes that game should have been, you know, 6-1 to one Bruins, and it wasn't. He was standing on his head the whole dang time. I mean, he saves the game two in overtime right before the Kirill Kaprizov overtime winner, too. That could have just iced the game right then and there as well. So um, Judd brought up, you know, game of the year, and it certainly was, I think, for the Wild standpoint. And you'd like to think that maybe this is a turning point in the season. Like the Wild have been playing good hockey since they've hired John Hines, but you'd like to think a, a win like that, can like go you can bookmark it go back to it and look at it as that was the point on you know December 19th of 2023 that kind of sparked the Wilds run here to get out of the grave that they were in to start the year and which is a insanely awesome comeback win that I think if they do end up making the playoffs in a huge push here I think this is the game we'll go back and circle as kind of a turning point in the season What's impressive to me too is is as we talked about off the top for the summit ad um you're without Zuccarello but more importantly, you're without Brodeen and Spurgeon, and you're asking Brock, Brock Faber, who's unbelievable, and Jake Middleton just to play an absolute ton, and they do it. And Faber again last night. Like, is there anything he doesn't do that 
like where you're like, you know what? That looked like a rookie. That yeah. looked like a rookie. It's incredible. And, and I really do think that he's going to start to get some national steam now as this continues. Because, you know, he's playing consistently right now. It feels like 30 minutes plus per game. I don't think he did in Pittsburgh, but he did again last night. And, no, he did. I think. I think he's had like. Oh, in Pittsburgh, he did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I mean, is there anything he does where you're like, yeah, okay, it's going to take some every. I, I mean, he's he is screaming, and he won't win it. Calder candidate, but he's also, in my opinion, in the Norris conversation. Has it's silly what he's doing. It is. It's it's so much fun to watch. I mean, I think coming in. Anybody who had watched him with the Gophers or watched him at World Juniors or anything with Team USA knew that he was really good, right? There was never a question about Brock Faber not being good. And I think, obviously, you let the excitement of him being a Minnesota boy maybe get to you a little bit when you make the move for Kevin Fiala. And there were still some question marks. I did not know that Brock Faber was this good in the way that he has translated into the National Hockey League. Again, we saw it a little bit last year, and it was amazing what he was able to do by stepping right in out of college last year, playing in the playoffs. But for him to eat the minutes, I think you look back at the beginning of the year and you saw him with Jonas Brodeen and you figured okay that's good because Broads can cover up any mistakes Faber hasn't really made any mistakes and now he's the one covering up mistakes maybe made for Jake Middleton uh shout out to that defensive pairing tune I did not see that pair ever working and exceeding like it certainly has uh tremendous I mean even Jake Middleton stepping up with that shot that Kaprizov scored on the rebound too I mean I think that's the other thing the other element to Brock Faber's game that we're missing is not only is he a 21 year old kid who's eating up these minutes playing on the top units for power play and penalty kill. Um, but his offensive side has really come through. I know that was a big thing going back to Dean Evson at the beginning of the year saying he wants Broads and Fabes to really step in offensively so they can be that. And John Hines is getting just that. I mean, Brock Faber is pushing the play, getting it out and, you know, forcing some of those breakouts and showing his offensive capability. So really there is nothing this kid can not do. And he's, he's just a nice dude too, down to earth smart guy um i love to see it everything about it brock faber let's talk norris let's do it get after it, it. it seems like these guys are like becoming unicorns like we saw us with kel mccarr you know four years ago he just steps in the playoffs and is amazing and turns into one of the best defensemen adam fox won the norris his second year in the nhl wild now have brock faber like it, it just there's always trends and things that that happen in, in all sports leagues, and it feels like finding your unicorn young defenseman that can do it all. Like, yeah, Brock Faber, I think his offensive game is even coming up here, which is the intriguing part, but he can obviously play 30 minutes. He can be reliable defensively, but you're seeing this around the league that it, it, I mean, obviously these guys are at the top of their positions, basically, but they're also 25 years old and younger, which is the scary part. I mean, for years it was, you know, the grizzled, you know, Shea Webbers and Ryan Suters and all these guys that were veteran defensemen in their late 20s, 30s, still logging 30 minutes. These guys are, you know, haven't really hit their their true prime yet. They're under 25 years old and they're arguably the best positions, the best players at their position in the league. Can I and, mention something yeah. that all three of those players have in common? College, College hockey, hockey, baby. College, College hockey, College. which I think is finally yeah. starting to get the recognition and steam that it deserves. I mean, it's becoming more competitive. You have guys like this that are going to play college hockey for two, three, four years even. Um, and I think that's that's a shout-out and a testament to where college hockey is going and, and the game that that's grown there. So I love it. I love me some college hockey. It's my favorite. Oh, yeah. And and I'm I'm with you. I, I watched Faber with the Gophers, not like intensely, but I watched him a lot or intently. But um, this is – I had no idea. And, I mean, he wasn't on the power play here. Bobby Motzko, what were you doing, baby? 
Like, I know your team was good last year, but I mean, this kid looks like, I mean, he can run a National Hockey League power play. Um, the one thing, too, is, and th- this guy has certainly come under some some heat for probably off the ice stuff of late, but, you know, when you look at that Middleton-Faber pairing, shout out to Bill Guerin there, because he obtained, I mean, I had, I don't even remember if I had heard of Jake when they acquired him in that uh, trade deadline move from the Sharks, and when they were basically uh, forced to trade Fiala, right? We're, we're all like, oh, good, at least they got a local defenseman back, and that's great. But those trades are going to turn out to be, I think, two of his best. Like that that Fiala trade, the Wild is winning that trade. Mm-hmm. I don't care what Kevin does. And, yes, he's very good. And, yes, he's productive points-wise. But when I watch Brock play, like how many of these guys exist, to, to Dex's point, right? Like when, when the Rangers traded for Fox or when McCarr comes down the pike, you're like, oh, man, those teams are so fortunate to have that guy. Um, you know, credit to Spurge and Brodeen, I think, is incredibly steady. They ain't Brock Faber, though. And I, I know that sounds that might sound ridiculous, but when I look at the Brock Faber skill set and what he does, Brodeen has his thing and Spurge has overachieved his entire career. Brock Faber is is in that line of, oh, my God, how did you get him? Which, to me, is a huge credit on a trade that was basically forced on the wild. And, and uh, Judd, if I remember right, we were sitting next to each other uh, the first game when Jake Middleton was traded here, and you ripped him. You said, this isn't going to work. This guy can't play with Spurgeon. This is yeah, going to be a thing. Time, yeah, yeah, he turned over the puck for a goal, I think, his first game. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. he looked at me and said, what the hell is Bill Guerin doing with yeah. this guy? This guy's not going to work well. Yeah, and Mitzi struggled this year. Like, he's really struggled. My favorite uh, thing about Jake Middleton is he always jokes. He's like, well, I was the guy picked before Connor McDavid because he was the last overall pick the year before Connor McDavid was selected number oh, one overall. On. Just a classic. But I, yeah, like, I mean, again, with his struggles early on the season to see Middleton kind of come into his home and really find something, I think that's a testament, another testament to Brock Faber. I don't want to make it yeah. all about Brock, but that is, that's Brock Faber bringing out the best in Jake Middleton, which says a heck of a whole lot for a 21-year-old kid. A last right. thing to get yep. on this on that Fiala trade too, because I think yeah, a lot of people were ripping it. I loved Fiala, um, and a lot of people knew the Wild had to trade him, so it was going to be difficult to do so. Mm-hmm. You got yeah, a unicorn defenseman, and then Liam Ogren was the draft pick you got from the Kings, who just got named captain, I believe, the World Junior team for Sweden. Mm-hmm. World so like when everyone said you could have gotten way more for this, I mean, not they're really. winning this trade. Like it, it, this isn't this is not even a you could have gotten more. Like what what more could you ask for? in a trade like this. This worked out really well for the Wild. Straight up, if this was Faber, yeah. Fiala, the Wild wins this trade. Mm-hmm. J- just because of the position. Yeah. Just because of that. I, I mean, these guys, again, not everyone gets to have one. Um, okay, it's over. It's over. Our long national nightmare of Kirill Kaprizov, who had um, three even strength, five and five goals going into last night, hadn't scored in six games. It got so bad that Jesse Pierce, at some point in time, I pre-game or in-game, put out a poem on X. Oh, great two poem. goals, two <laughs> goals last night, um, including the including a five-on-five five and including the OT winner, which was a nice setup by Jules Erickson Eck. Um, have we, are we now starting to see, because I think we've seen enough of late where, where he's been coming around. Are we starting to see Kirill Kaprizov as we used to know him and not the guy who we've seen for a large portion of this season, Jesse. 
I, gosh, I hope so. I mean, it's funny that poem I put out, I put out a poem probably once a game just because mm-hmm. I enjoy I like doing poems. it. It's not, it's not rare. And I don't know that that sparked him. I think I put him on the naughty list this year for Bard on Beauty's episode. So I think that was probably really <laughs> the dagger. He was like, oh no, I can't miss that. That was a terrible Russian accent. Um, no, but I think we've seen it coming really the production wasn't there but we started to see him cycling i know i think it was that overtime game against vancouver where he just cycled and cycled and so you're starting to see that edge work come back again that was always my bigger concern i figured the goals would maybe eventually come but it was just he wasn't looking like himself i think uh the wild posted their post game helmet giving to mark andre Fleury and pat maroon had mentioned when he was handing over it's good to see Kirill smile again because i think there is that element if Kirill's not having fun he is not playing how he is. And of course, for him, that includes scoring goals and scoring goals in big time. Not only did he score those goals, guys, we got our first post game on camera interview from Kirill, too, mostly in English. We love to see that. Yeah. Um, so hopefully the floodgates are now officially open. Kirill's got to have that confidence back. Um, it's the most overtime goals in franchise history, courtesy of Kirill, too. So. Uh, kind of an exciting situation. Let's go. Number 97, especially now, he has to be turning up. You've got no Spurge, Broads, or Zuki. He needs to be that guy. There's no more excuses. Mm-hmm. I believe the poem uh, from the uh, wordsmith Jesse Pierce was, Roses are red, flowers in bloom. I'm really going to need Kaprizov to do something soon. Bravo. <laughs> Matamidi right there. Go Zefs. Go Zefs. <laughs> Proud of you, Zefs. Good job. Thanks, guys. Um, uh, again, back to the top of my point of, of that being like a turning point win for the season. I think it might be hopefully a turning point for Kirill, right? Like he was snake bitten a little bit, two goals last night. Um, I believe just his fourth even strength, even of the season, which is just again, wild to think because we're almost at the new year at this point. Um, but again, if, if he's a guy that can also can just score in bunches, he's gotten off to slow starts every year. He started his career. This has obviously been a much more of a prolonged slow start. Um, and you'd like to think that a game like that where he basically ca- helps carry the wild because Flower definitely did his share too, but offensively he carries the wild to that win in that department, and you'd like to hopefully think that is also a turning point for his game for the rest of the year. He played 25-03 last night. Now, now he had played in Pittsburgh 20-58, but what I loved was, and it feels like we're seeing this more and more now, what I loved was the engagement. So, like, he was fully engaged. Like, you saw him a lot. And I, I don't care if it was shots or not. He had a season-high seven shots. He had two hits. And here's what I'm wondering, because it does seem like he's much more into the flow of games now. Um, I'm wondering if he is finding a way, and, and he has to, but is he finding a way to work around what he can't do now? Because it still feels like he's not doing everything he can, like 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 God given talent wise, one hundred percent. He can do more as 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 far as wow you with moves. Um, he did make the move in Pittsburgh that was just stupid, which was the be- between the legs move, and he didn't score on it, but it was still a stupid move. But I wonder if he's also like adapting a bit too, because I mean he's still an elite talent. At at one hundred percent, he's a superstar and he's one of the best players. But let's say he's. 85% or something, right? He's still going to be very good. It feels to me like he's finding a way now to, to adapt because just because you're just because you're not feeling exactly right doesn't mean that you're still probably not better than the majority of players on the ice if you're Kirill Kaprizov. Yeah, that's probably a really fair point that I hadn't even considered. And I think it's just him getting comfortable 
with his body again. I mean, you saw him get into the gritty areas more than he has all season last night. And I think that's also a look at him playing with Matt Boldy and Jewel Eric Snack, who are players that are also fine. I mean, Jewel Eric Snack has always had that, but Matt Boldy's becoming kind of that grittier player who's battling alongside the boards. And I think Kirill Kaprizov is recognizing, hey, that's something that I need to bring to my game too. And and you're right, Judd, if there is that lingering injury that he's still dealing with, it's trying to figure out, okay, how can I do that without hampering myself anymore? Um, I think that's huge. You mentioned the seven shots. That was also the biggest point for Kirill for me last year. The past couple games, two shots. He has had two shots. Now, certainly shot counting is always a tough draw. It's not accurate, whatever, but still two is very different than what we'd expect out of Kirill Kaprizov. I need that seven. I need that five minimum um, of all things. So I think that's good. And again, I think that speaks to the confidence that he's now exuding that'll hopefully continue to spill over into the games to come because that's the biggest thing. If you don't have a Kirill Kaprizov that's confident, you're screwed. I don't know how you're going to do anything. You need him of all players to have that confidence. It needs to be that belief because if he's feeling down and if he's feeling kind of any sort of way, then you're going to get what we've had so far this season up until mid-December. I think that was the biggest thing. I think it's been this mental blockage for him. And now hopefully that's been removed, tossed to the side, burned, and uh, Kirill Kaprizov can come back to the 97 that we know and love. And, you know, Boldy's still a little snake bitten too, which, and if he would have scored that overtime winner in, on the breakaway right before the Kirill, go, uh, Kirill goal, uh, that also would have been just a, an insane moment for him. And again, maybe you think that's turning point for his game. Uh, but in general, with all these wild players basically dropping like flies again, you know, Letary going out and the wild basically paying like $45 million to players that aren't playing for them right now. Um, again, it's a testament. I'm trying to weigh two of, you know, yes, they, they, they won a big game against the Penguins, but how much can you continue winning with literally 60% of your roster basically off the ice of, of your core players? Like this isn't just one or two guys. This is, this is a, this is just a laundry list of people that have continued to get injured. And eventually like, you cannot, you know, win the majority of your hockey games with, with all those guys out. So I'm curious to see how long it continues. Uh, but in general, you'd like to see yeah, your star players like Kirill and Boldy, you know, kind of take over games too. Spurgeon might be back. Um, they're teasing on Thursday. Is that right, Jesse? I believe so. We'll check in uh, morning skate tomorrow and, and find out, I suppose, if he's on the ice. He, he didn't take the trip because they thought it'd be more beneficial for him to skate here at home, uh, which I think is always a good sign. That means that they're getting closer. So hopefully that's the case because they get a much needed day off today, but back on the ice tomorrow. Is this the same thing that, that he was out with before earlier this season, or is this a new thing? Hines hasn't specified that because i did ask that the other night like what what's going on can you give us any clarification and and he didn't say it it sounds more like a nagging injury from that the one that kept him his debut in the season um especially if he is going to return say tomorrow i mean it hasn't been that terribly long um and it kind of came out of nowhere there's no situation i can point to in any of the games prior to him missing that it seems that so i'm guessing it was something not necessarily re-aggravated but very bothersome to him. But that's just a complete speculation. Oh, that's fine. You know what? They, they don't tell us, Jack. You get Nothing. to speculate. That's yes. the rule. If you're going to say, <laughs> if you're not going to give us specifics, we speculate. If you don't like that wild, then you tell us what's up. Uh, but before we, we get to a conversation that I want to have for all of the all of Jesse's friends, the line heathens, let's, let's talk about our friends at Livia Weight Controls Centers who uh, helped me drop 40 pounds a couple of years ago. And Jesse, you, you're on the program as well, a mm-hmm. uh, spokesperson. You're down how much? 32 pounds. Well, congratulations. That Thank is you. awesome. And guess what, folks? This program works. And if you join today, you're going to get your first eight weeks for free. That's right. Everyone loves something for free, right? How would you like to start dropping weight before January 1st? 
eight weeks for free. Voted Minnesota's best weight loss program three years in a row. 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A-Livia.com. L-I-V-E-A.com. Jesse Pierce, Judd Zolgate. We can both attest to you that this program works and will help you keep the weight off. All right. I know Erickson X set up Kaprizov, and it was very nice for the OTGWG. I've always wanted to say that goal last night. But can I run an idea past you guys with Zuki out? What do you guys think about moving Rossi back to the first line? Because right now, Marco is on a line with Hartman and Felino, which which really strikes me as an Eck type of line. And and this is not because of Eck. Eck has done nothing wrong. Eck is, I think Eck is an underrated, really good good player. So let's make that clear. But my reasoning is this. I think Marco Rossi deserves to play with guys who have more skill. And I don't see a compelling case that, that I'm like wrong. Like he doesn't look lazy to me. He doesn't look. So what, what would you guys think if uh, Zuccarello indeed is going to be week to week, which in hockey terms is long term. Uh, what would you think of juggling the two centers just to get Rossi back with more skilled guys? Declan, start with you. Yeah, I, I, I would do it. And, you know, I, I've been a proponent of, you know, having Eck play with top players because he basically never gets to, um, not because he doesn't have the skill set to it, just his skill set is more suited for a grinding type and a guy who can get greasy goals in front of the net and do things that, you know, can pester opponents. Uh, but in general, I think that Eck being on a line with Hartman and Felino just fits better of his game. And that doesn't mean that Eck still can't contribute offensively, and that line can. I mean, Ryan Hartman scored a big goal last night, so it's possible. Um, and you'd like to see Marco, yeah, I think get an extended look with Kirill Kaprizov because, yeah, he is part of your future plans here. You know, we've been hearing about Marco Rossi forever. He's finally, you know, blossomed to a degree finally in this season, and you don't want to see him just not wasting away, but being on a line with two guys that probably aren't the best for his skill set. So, yeah, I, I would I would swap those two immediately if I have to. I, again, they're winning games, so it's kind of, are they going to force their hand to make changes? Probably not, but I will say, and, and Jess probably can touch on this more, John Hines is not afraid to scramble lines and do something different too. So I guess it wouldn't shock me that much either. I mean, that's the nice thing about a new coach, right, is it's a clean slate for everybody. He doesn't really know. I mean, certainly he felt out the policy wasn't going to come in and make wholesale changes, but it's kind of him getting to play and, and mix and match as he sees fit. But I agree, mostly because I literally cringed you guys last night when I saw Felino <laughs> Rossi Hartman. I was like, oh, like it sent a shiver down my spine. I just did not care for it. Um, yes, I have liked Boldy, Eck, and Kaprizov together more than I think I thought I would. Uh, no discredit to Eck or anything. I just was kind of curious about that. Right. Um, but it's worked well, but I agree. I think bump Rossi up. I would even like to see Maroon kind of bumped down and put Vinny Letary with Johansson and Goudreau just to kind of see what that third line could ignite. Um, that would be the mm-hmm. other change, but otherwise I would absolutely swap Eriksenek and Rossi and put that back together. And the, the reason why I think that the change makes sense as well is in Pittsburgh, and this was a good switch by Hines last night, in Pittsburgh, Johansson was on what is technically the second line with Hartman and Rossi, and Johansson, who, glory be to God, scored a goal last night, got bumped down to the third line with uh, Goudreau and Maroon because he's been doing nothing. So like, once you take him off, like when he, if he's playing well, which he has not for a long time, but when he's playing well, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, he's got some talent if he's going well to play with Rossi. But if you're going to go with basically a second line grinder line, which is okay, that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. I want Erickson Eck there. And I want Rossi um, unless they see something with, with, Rossi that we don't but I think he does what he's asked so 
I just think that there's subtle changes uh, because they do have so many guys out. Last question for you, Jesse. How long do you think that Faber and Middleton especially can continue to play like this? Because we all know um, they're playing a ton, which is great. They play great. But the shortcomings of having to play every time you have to have the goose or the Merrill step on the ice, you are tempting the fate of a goal against. Uh, especially when Goose looked like he unleashed, uh, Jess. He got and I just I can't I cannot that see John Merrill on night. the ice. The penalty that, was terrible. Like I can't. The Goose penalty. What are you doing? Get your stick down, dude. I mean, and again, and we've talked about it at length, and it's beating a dead horse. But they're old, and they just can't do it anymore. And clearly, they're Brock Faber's showing that. Like it's gotta hurt. Yeah, like you're moving. I can't even move up and down the ice like that. Like, dude, it's okay. No shame in your game. That's all right. I just no shame in your game. I, no shame. Like, I mean, there's all shame in their actual No, I know, game, but you rhymed it. No right? shame in your game. That's what I do. I'm a poet and I know it. Um, no, I would do anything to see uh, Damon Hunt out there, obviously more often and, and bench some of these guys. What John Hines is, you know, holding back. I'm not sure. I don't know if he is seeing something obviously different or if it is coming from overhead saying, Hey, I need these guys to be playing. I can't have that money sitting up in the press box, yada, yada. Because I think that probably realistically is part of the problem. Like, you don't want to have 1.2 million sitting in the press box or two point whatever it is. Like, the very little money that they're making, still more. Um, I can't do it. I just, yeah, I can't do it. I would rather see Brock Faber and Jake Middleton play the entire game by themselves than see those two be on the ice. Just be or, Hunt, or Hunt plays more. I, I have no yeah. problem with that. He no. can skate. Yeah. He, he made a great play last night mm-hmm. to get back. So... Yeah, I just, and Goose, I mean, dude, your penalties. I think that's what, the Goligoski penalties kill me because it's like, okay, you're already got, you're like walking on, no pun intended, thin ice or skating on thin ice. And now you're going to take these penalties. It's like, and well, they're lazy because he can't keep up. He doesn't have the skate. I mean, he's he's just tying up coil, tie him up. That's fine, dude. Just don't get your stick up here, Dex. Fly fly south for the winner, Goose. Just fly south. (laughs) I hate to say it because he's a good, I'm sure he's a great guy. Oh, there's a great guy. Good player. Yeah. Great player. All right, we're done. But Jesse, uh, before we wrap things, congratulations. Bar Down Beauties was was nominated for a podcast award. So tell the Judd's Hockey Show folks how to vote for you and Kirsten. Yes, we were nominated for the one of the best hockey fan or finalists, rather, excuse me, for best hockey podcast, courtesy of Sports Podcasting Group. You can vote for us to win because, of course, it's all about popularity. And I think we should be the most popular of these groupings. Go ahead and vote at sportspodcastinggroup.com in the hockey category. We would love that. Voting goes until January 28th, I believe. So you've got some time. Vote every day. Vote often. We'd love it because uh, we have some fun over on the Bar Down Beauties podcast as well. Awesome stuff. Dex, do yeah, Hit honor. the subscribe button. Daily Minnesota uh, Sports Entertainment. This is Judd's Hockey Show and Pass Shoot Score.